liberty lockdown please scan your barcode your liberty ain't gone but yeah it's on hold where did it come from and where did it go it requires a fight not tweeting from your phone don't need a king get him off the fucking throne if you're riding with the thought you've always got a home the virus is scared of will come and it'll go the government knows just don't get treated like a hoe Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Liberty Lockdown. we got another special guest with me today, the legend himself, Josh Denny, the most canceled comedian in America. You know, I don't know if that's true, but I'm going to keep I'm going to keep branding myself that way because, it, you know, who who's more canceled than me? Right. People people have argued uh, they go, oh, well, it's, you haven't been deplatformed yet. So technically, like Owen Benjamin is more canceled than you or. Uh, or, you know, there's, there's more media coverage for Chappelle. So he's more canceled. It's like, no, I think the frequency, I think when you talk about how many times people try to cancel you and how many times it, it catches fire, I think that one I win by far. <laughs> I think so too, man. Um, it's like, I have, I have an Epic one every couple of years now. I had one in 2014 over a rape joke I had on Twitter. <laughs> I had one that, that really didn't catch fire. Cause I wasn't famous in any way at the time. And then the 2018 one, and then now this recent one about abortion. So I, I think when it comes to frequency, I'm the winner. Well, what I what I appreciate about it, and and I think that this is true for any true fan of comedy, is that I appreciate when I see a comedian who, regardless of risk, continues to persist in the face of danger. What <laughs> what what is it about you that that maintains the will to to forge ahead, regardless of the financial and uh, social costs? I believe it. I believe in it. You know what yeah. I mean? Like I, I, it's, I'm not faking it. Right. You know what I mean? That's why I laugh when people go, Oh, his, he, now that he's this free speech guy, he's grifting. And it's like, no, no, the better grift would have been to keep my fucking mouth shut <laughs> and stay on the gravy train on the other side. Right. So exactly. Uh, no, it's just, you know, the thing about principles is when you have them, they're hard to shake. And when you think something is right, it's hard to, uh, you know, go against it. So yeah, I think comedians should be able to joke about whatever they jo want to joke about or talk about whatever they want to talk about. And I think, I think when it comes to the one kind of speech where nothing should be off limits, it should definitely be stand-up comedy if it's anything. Yeah. And um, I refuse to back down on that. And I'll, I'll never apologize for jokes. I've never apologized for anything I said that was intended to entertain people. And I never will. I love it. I love it, man. I, I really think that like, your your role in society has become significant. I mean, it's always been important. The the jester, the person who brings levity to serious situations, is an important thing. But what what's really vital now is because so few people feel comfortable to talk about how dangerous everything that's happening is because their their livelihoods are jeopardized. I mean, you can lose your job not for taking a vaccine, much less having a bad opinion. It's like do you feel that gravity with your work? Like, does it, does it seem, does it, ha has it taken on a greater sense of purpose than it, than it used to feel say in the two thousands or something? I think I've always considered it important. And I, and I don't mean to like toot my own horn and say like everything I've done has been important. I think right, the right, weight right. of, I think the weight of the freedom to do it is important. Um, and so I, I think it's, it comes with that freedom comes a lot of responsibility to make it meaningful. And, and I try to do that a little bit in everything that I do, but um, I think the line in the sand is becoming more evident. And I think, um, I think you're starting to see that there are people who really live that principle and people who are full of shit. And the sad reality is 
a lot of the comedians that we grew up liking and loving and consuming their content and their shows and their specials, they're full of shit. And now that it's hard to say, like, you can't say anything unpopular without losing money or opportunity. You're really seeing who's about that life and who's not and who's really trying to speak truth to power and who isn't a great example. The, the one that's happening right now with the Dave Chappelle thing, everybody wants to cancel Dave because they said what he was saying is anti-trans. I didn't I didn't see it that way. I saw it as being sort of pro-black and showing that here we are in another instance of of uh, society where the the growth of one new minority is still going to be done on the backs of black people and he mm. and i think i pulled that away from when he said the analogy of you know the baby could shoot and kill another black man in walmart north carolina and no one ever cared about it enough to write an email to his manager <laughs> and he could say the word faggot on stage and they want to end his career and so that's a great correlation. And, and the, one of the best pieces of material Dave ever did was in his second special. And I can't remember what the name of it was, but it was the one he's wearing like the Zaire or Africa shirt. And it's in San Francisco. And he does that bit about how much, how old is 15 really? And so he <laughs> talks about how the news covered a 15 year old white girl and talked about her like a child uh, because she was kidnapped and abducted and basically was like playing house with the guy. And they treated her like a victim no matter how much autonomy she showed in that. And then there was a 15 year old black kid who killed his friend doing wrestling moves in the backyard. And they tried him as an adult and sentenced him to life. And so he's talking about the double standard of how old is 15 and why does race play into it? And this was just another example of why is it more problematic for a man's career and livelihood to make fun or insult gay people than it is to kill another black man. And whether you agree with him or not, there's a point to it. Right. And you can go, listen, fair point, whether I think whether I think that's really society or not is irrelevant, because for him, his piece of art and the work he's doing, that's the that's the case he'd like to present. And, and it should be his freedom to do it. And other comedians should be applauding it, not shitting on it and trying to misrepresent it. And the one thing I said was, um, just show me one trans comedian who has the balls, no pun intended, to do an hour shitting on the black community. I'm talking about what's wrong in the black community. You know, one of my biggest pushbacks about the black community demanding rights is how openly homophobic black people are. Uh, and I played sports with a lot of black dudes growing up. And like the level of, of homophobia in the black community is insane. <laughs> and part of the reason why these two sides don't want to hear each other is neither side wants to talk about the truth. And at least Dave is trying to talk about the truth from his perspective, which is black people really don't give a fuck about your struggle because when push comes to shove, you'll be white. Like when he told the joke about, or the story about when the gay guy called the police on him in the nightclub, right. he's going, you're a homosexual up until you need the police involved. And now you're just another white person. Mm -hmm. He's right. Show me a gay comedian who has the balls to go at the jugular of the black community and say, here's how homophobic you guys are. And here's what's wrong with it and make art about it. Then we got a discussion, baby. Yeah, but yeah, you yeah. can't be pussies on the other side uh, and not come to the table with your own art. I, I don't want to see trans people walk out of Netflix. How about one of these trans comedians, which there seem to be a dozen new ones coming <laughs> up on the Internet every day. How about one of you make a piece of art for an hour about how much homophobia is in the black community? No one has the guts to do it. No, it's they would much rather focus on white privilege and the patriarchy and things like that. I, I, I yeah, totally agree. The, right. 
Right. They, the white man is still their number one issue because the black, this is the hard reality. Black people don't have anything gay people and trans people want. The shit <laughs> they want, the power is still held by white men. Come so on. They don't, they don't want They don't want a 45 inch vertical. I'm jealous of black people. <laughs> no kidding. Are you talking? Yeah. Well, if you think their vertical is impressive, you should see their horizontal. It's quite impressive as well. <laughs> I don't know what locker rooms you've been in, buddy, but the, the horizontal is almost as impressive as the vertical. Well, that, um, this, this ties in nicely to John Gruden because I thought it was absolutely hysterical that an NFL coach, a man who has presided over, you know, probably a couple thousand black men over his 10,000, probably 10,000 black yeah. men in his career. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. To, to have us believing for a second that he is racist or to have me believing for a second that he wasn't homophobic as an NFL head coach. I was like, obviously, he is both of those things. He is not a racist sure. and he is also homophobic because he's been an NFL head coach for 30 years. What are we talking about? And listen, like this is why I laugh when black people go, oh, white people don't have an N word. Otherwise, you know, you could you could have a conversation about hateful words in your language like yeah we do have a an n-word for white people it's faggot it's the derogatory thing that white guys have been calling each other for 50 fucking years or longer like so you know it's like you can't take you can't take the usage of that word in the context right. that gruden is using it uh because well, faggot and pussy are interchangeable right in that email about roger goodell so it's like that is not him gay bashing right Roger Goodell, because Roger Goodell's not gay, any more than a black guy calling another black guy the N-word is being racist. Do you know what I mean? Like, sure, he's sure. definitely saying he's an anti-football pussy. And, <laughs> and by the way, if that was a fireable offense in the NFL 10 years ago when the lockout happened, pull up the emails and texts of every player, every coach, every owner, you're going to have to fire them all. How many how many players were calling Goodell a cracker in their texts to their oh buddies? Oh my god, or pussy or fag. I mean, listen. Oh yeah. If saying faggot can get you fired from the NFL, every black guy better be putting his fucking phone in a fireplace today because <laughs> like I'm sure there are black players who are calling people faggot in their DMs right now. Right now there are black guys calling somebody a faggot. <laughs> somewhere oh, in, absolutely. In, inter, in the interwebs <laughs> an active nfl player is saying the words faggot right now right now somewhere and, and now, in the nfl and now and now yeah. <laughs> for, yeah. for the rest of the day yeah all yeah, day 24 yeah. 7 i yeah. know take it's... a breath and realize that every second you breathe in a black man is calling someone a faggot in the nfl <laughs> it's just it's just so detached from reality this is what drives me crazy it's like did you, I mean, well, and also, I, I don't know if you're familiar with Jeremy Kaufman. He runs, uh, he's, he's a big member of the Libertarian Party in the uh, Free State Project in New Hampshire. Yeah, he yeah, got, I know of Jeremy. Yeah, he got in trouble for, for saying suck my dick to someone who said something shitty on Twitter. Yeah. <clears throat> turns out, turns out this lunatic is a 17 year old. So they start going, oh, you're telling a kid to suck your dick. You homo, you know, you homophobia, this and that, you pedophile. And it's like, it's like, look, listen, if you're inviting someone to suck your dick, I hardly think that makes you a homophobe. It sounds granted. like you're pretty experimental. <laughs> sounds like you're pretty open. If I invite a guy to suck my dick, I can't be that afraid of gay stuff. Right. <laughs> Tremendously open minded. I'm at least I'm open to it. Yeah, no. Listen, I, I'll give any kid an audition. I'm like a young Harvey Weinstein. You could try. <laughs> you could try it out. I'm not not saying you're going to get the job or you're going to sway me, but you know, have a crack at it. If you do a good enough job, I don't know. I might hire you. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and by the way, 17 is is the age of consent in most states. Yeah, anyway, right? I like know, I know, but they they're just it's just uh, 
I don't know. It's, it's rage bait. It's nonsense. It's like people, people taking cheap shots. They know, but the, the sad thing is, is that even the libertarian community isn't immune to this. Like the oh, people no. who, who believe in free speech and independent thought and not having these, these protected classes and group think and all this nonsense collectivism, like we're supposed to be against all that. And we still have these fucking lunatics in our, in our midst that talk like this. Well, you know, what bothers me about this push on the right and conservatism, and this is what kind of keeps me for people. Go, Why do you think yourself of a, a libertarian? Cause you're pretty conservative for a libertarian. Why aren't you just a conservative? And I think my problem with that is, is there is this sort of puritanical conservative right that still exists and in many ways is growing um, where it is sort of like this fucking handmaid's tale vibe of like, you know, <laughs> let's get our women back pumping water and churning butter and fucking shit now kids. And we don't curse on our programs. Like so many people are like, why don't you go do something with the daily wire? And I go, I don't know. They haven't invited me because I say, fuck. <laughs> like, you know, and, and nor would I ever work in an environment that tries to restrict me creatively on what I can do and say and talk about sure. that's against what I believe in. And it's against what they say they believe in. But there's this weird pearl clutching sect of conservatism that is a step backwards. Like, I don't like what's posing as progressivism today, but I don't want to go back to Amish conservatism either, where we don't even speak to each other because we're, we have this sense of puritanical morality and how we interact with each other as people. Right. Yeah. Like Mike Pence, not able to have dinner with other women and shit like that. Like, oh yeah. yeah. There's a great, that's a great example. And there are, there are people like I have friends. That's the thing. I have friends on the right that I disagree with immensely too, because they are too far that way. Like, mm -hmm. They're like, you know, it's 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 not a progressive um, and, and I hate using the word progressive because of how it's been co-opted by radicalization on the left. But it's it's like really a step in the wrong direction for conservatism. Like I am a that's why when people go like, how would you describe yourself? I go, I'm a radical individualist, meaning I believe in minimal, almost non-existent government and maximum personal autonomy and freedom and choice until that affects the life or well-being of another person then i think that's the where the government has to intervene and settle disputes and do what it's what it's you know constitutionally appointed to do and nothing more nothing more than that yeah and i i always felt like that's a pretty understandable position to have politically but it's amazing how i get railed on both sides and from the middle from libertarians like a lot of libertarians came at me when i came out as pro life and they're oh, like, yeah. that's not a libertarian point of view. And I go, it is if you think that's another person. Of course and it, it is. is. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it, that's that's the thing. Like, there is no hard and fast rule for libertarians when it comes to abortion, because some still believe that there should be some period at which it's not considered a life and others that believe that it's a, a conception. And I don't take a hard uh, position on this, mainly because I don't want to criminalize it, because I don't trust the government to deal with such a gray area. And I, and I understand that position, by the way. Yeah. I get it's like it's the same thing of like. Yeah, I'm pro universal health care in theory, but right. let's take a look. Let's take a look at how it's being administered today, because before we have universal health care, the government's going, put this fucking man, this vaccine in your body or we'll kill you economically. Yeah. And it's well, not like, even not even economically. They are they are removing people from the list for uh, organ donations. I mean, yeah. So they're, they're, they're killing them. people already. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like. I've always said I would love the idea of, of universal health care. And I, I, number one, I think we can afford it. We could probably get rid of a bunch of unnecessary government shit and do it. Um, the concern I have about the way this government would do it is before you'd get an ounce of treatment, 
they'd tell you this has to be your diet. This is how much you have to work out. You're not allowed to drink. You're not allowed to smoke out, uh, uh, smoke uh, cigarettes. You're not allowed to do drugs. And all those things I have a problem with. The, the idea I have of, of looking at healthcare universally is that I, I think it should be treated like a municipality for capitalism. And what I mean by that is what could, what could Americans accomplish if they never had to worry about getting sick? And yeah. is that a good investment in American capitalism, entrepreneurship, and industry? And I, I would argue that it is. I would say there's no greater fear that prevents man from reaching his opportunity than his fear of death. And if you could somehow remove that, I don't know if you'll ever remove it, but if you could mitigate or minimize that fear, what is man capable of? And would that be a worthwhile investment? I'm not saying I know for certain that it would be, but I think it would be an interesting thing to explore. Sure. Well, I I think it's kind of a given that that would be a net good if they could deliver on it, but I don't, but they'd have to stay the fuck out of your business, which they've proven they won't do. So then you got to blow the whole thing up and say, let's not have any socialized. Exactly. Which is exactly why I lean towards, um, you know, social taboos and ostracization when it comes to, uh, you know, kind of regulating abortion culturally, I think that having it be criminal, um, you know, having the government in charge of, of, investigating all miscarriages across this country as if their abortion scares the shit out of me. So, yeah, well, but, but again, so, so here, and this is, so this becomes a very sort of philosophical chicken and egg thing, right? Is do what has to happen first, right? Do we have to demonstrate that we can adhere to law or, or execute it properly as a society before we institute a moral standard in our law? Or does the other thing have to come first? Because the argument I would make, and this is what I say about abortion, the concept of it being safe, legal, and rare. We've now proven over the 20 years since I graduated high school that the only way it will be safe and rare is if it's not legal. And the data shows, like you look at states like South Dakota where they outlawed it. I don't know if it's still against the law, but it was for a period of time. And I talked to my employees that worked for me when I was in uh, Minnesota overseeing businesses in South Dakota. And I was like, what do you guys do? Drive to Minnesota for abortions? And they're like, some people do, but most of us just use better protection and more protection and more contraception. And so the argument one could make is that the only way it'll be safe and rare is if it is illegal. And then what is the law's requirement to moral, to upholding a sense of cultural morality, right? And the only, the only thing I'll give you as a pushback on the government shouldn't do this is Don't think of it in terms of body autonomy or abortion. Think of it in terms of it is the only circumstance in our law where one person has the ability to electively end the life of another person. It's just an inconsistency in our law. Mm -hmm. And so do I think there are circumstances where it's necessary? Certainly, just like it's necessary sometimes to kill another person in defense of your own home or property or family. But the law isn't written to where all murder is legal because some of them are necessary. And so I think for us to get where we want to be culturally, we have to say abortion is illegal, except. And so, and, and so that I do think when you talk about chicken and egg, I think we have to change the law before we can change the behavior. Um, I don't think we're ever going to get to where we want to be with this topic without changing the law. We've proven it. We've given people free reign. And now women are going, uh, yeah, I need a nine month abortion. I need to be able to decide on the delivery day that the baby should be murdered. And it's like, yo, this shit is getting out of control now. <laughs> oh, there's no, no disagreement from, from me on that part. Right. I don't, yeah, so I, don't I, I, th- I think we have to put, it's sort of like uh, you have to put the restriction up 
to put like human beings are binary. All human beings are either motivated by consequences or incentives. And we have proven that the incentives by giving people the choice is not enough. Like if they're not being responsible with the ability to make that choice. And so now you have to met you, you have to throw out consequences. If you do this without us determining that it's acceptable or reasonable, then there's consequences. Yeah. My, my preference is to have, I mean, my preference as an anarchist is to have no government, but if I'm going to have a government, I would prefer it um, only implement laws when it is already the, the morality of the people. I will grant you, however, that we have tremendous moral decay. So it's uh, correct. And I think this, and my, my greater philosophical argument is this is part of the moral decay of this culture in America. I I agree. I just, I'm on demand abortion of women. Like, yeah, I had 30 punch them the fuck (laughs) out. They're doing them like GoFundMes. I mean, that, that is uh, like, it's obvious that I think, I think our, our open-minded stance on abortion has contributed to the moral decay of America. And so, you know, as yeah. a as a person who doesn't and never will have a uterus, <laughs> I understand people's uh, predilection to say that I, I don't really have all the perspective necessary to weigh in on this. Today's episode of Liberty Lockdown is brought to you by our friends over at the Daily Job Hunt. I keep telling you about this company. What do I got to do, huh? What do I got to do? I got to ship it to your house. I got to walk it into your bedroom. I got to sit it on your front doorstep. No, I don't. It's free. Just go do it. All right? Capiche? It's fucking easy. Okay? Go to crash.co forward slash daily to sign up for the daily job hunt. Don't make me come break your knees. All right? This isn't fucking hard. Goodness gracious. Anyways, daily job hunt, daily newsletter, gets you the job of your dreams. If you're about to get laid off because of vaccine mandates or any other craziness, just want to make some more money, this is your shot. It's free. Subscribe now. Go to crash.co forward slash daily. You won't regret it. I can tell you that uh, it is absolutely the way girls dealt with the trauma of having abortion when I was a young adult, my 20, early 20s, late teens, is nowhere near the flippant, uh, you know, sociopathic, not give a shit attitude that women have about them today. I mean, they're almost like a, it's almost like a punch card badge of honor for some of these broads. And, yeah. uh, you know, it's not steering us in the right direction. And it doesn't mean I'm against sexual autonomy. I, dude, I'm about legalized prostitution. I, I right. fucking put it all on the table. And I don't think anything that people do with their bodies or with each other's bodies in a consensual way should be the government's business whatsoever. Mm-hmm. There should be no laws regulating that or the exchange of goods and services in that regard, as long as it, no one's getting hurt. So you sound like a libertarian to me, man. I, hey. I, I'm surprised you got such such a pushback for that. Um, you know, well, I get it, it just it's just proof that, you know, all tribes are still tribes, right? Even yes, the ones yes. that are supposed to be the most rational and level headed still have a sense of tribalism. There's more infighting in the Libertarian Party now than there or as much as there are in the other two major parties. Yeah, honestly, I don't even think that's unhealthy. I think it's 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 actually yeah. evidence. It's evidence that we talk to each other and that's good. Uh, we talk about things that you're not supposed to, which is also good. I think that your point with the Chappelle special is exactly right, that you know, you have these communities that are so protected uh, that you're not even allowed, you know, not not myself, but well, neither of us, obviously, but also like even a trans person can't talk about black people and black people aren't supposed to talk about trans people like y- you get into this protected class where no one is allowed to take the piss from you. And how are you supposed to ever like 
become um, immersed in the American ethos if you are treated as something other. And I'm, it just drives me crazy that people seem to want to put up these walls as high as possible. And, and as if that's progress, it feels completely regressive to me. Uh, how do you feel about it? Yeah, I agree. And, and listen, like, you know, I always go, when I went through, I did a, a thread this morning, I was thinking about all this stuff on Twitter and, and you commented like, Oh, this is good. We'll have you on today. And it seems like your head's in the right space for this conversation. But um, I think the really hard thing to remember when you go through like a cancellation or people try to drag you for being open about it is I think comedians have to be indignant that we are off limits. Meaning like if any, you can't do this at your job because of HR and legal and everything else, you gotta let us do this. We're the only people left in society that can kick the doors down of these conversations. And the hard thing to understand is the, the great line from Moneyball, which I, I'm starting to feel is maybe the greatest sports movie ever made. And I'm sure that'll catch some heat, but there's a line <laughs> in there. There's a line in there at the end when the Red Sox are trying to recruit him away. And he's like, dude, I've been ridiculed all year for, for running my team this way. And the, the president of the Red Sox goes like, you know, all of baseball will run off these principles in the next 10 years. You have to understand the first one through the wall always gets bloody. And I got bloody going through the wall, starting to talk about how openly accepted racism to white people has become. And uh, while white people aren't necessarily on the bottom of the social rung uh, at the moment, that is absolutely the goal. And it's absolute. We're getting closer and closer to that every day. Um, and it's the same thing with Dave Chappelle. Dave Chappelle just was the first one through the wall of let's start to talk about why black people don't give a fuck about gay and trans struggle. And, and let's, and then now a trans comic has to have the balls to come out and say, let's talk about why gay and trans people don't give a fuck about the black struggle. These are the real honest societal reflections that come through in stand-up comedy that can't live anywhere else. George Carlin was a master at it. Richard Pryor was a master at it. Chappelle is a master at it. And I think part of the problem is, is uh, we don't believe white men can be masters of it. We don't necessarily believe that trans people have been, can be masters of it. But a lot of it is because they're not stepping up to the plate with this work and having the courage to address these things. Like, you know, what bothered me the most about the Dave Chappelle special is I have a bit, a chunk that's for my first, that's set aside for my first special whenever I get to do it which I've been working on for years now, trying to get the funding and I want to do it right. And I, I really want to do this epic thing. There's some things I want to do that kind of break the fourth wall and talk about race and talk about presumption and everything else. I cannot but one wait of, for that. But one of the key jokes in that uh, chunks in that is talking about a slave owner in South Carolina named William Henry Ellison. And Dave referenced him in his special. He didn't say his name. But William Henry Ellison was the uh, apprentice oh, yeah. to the man who was the maker of the cotton gin. Yeah. And so when when he died, he left his plantation to uh, <laughs> William Ellison, who was black, a freed slave. And instead of freeing everybody, <laughs> Ellison was like, strap on in, you black motherfuckers about to get way worse. And so I have this whole my closing number for my special is on what kind of Willy Wonka production do you have to have to let the black people know that not only are they not free, but it's about to get way worse. And I want to close <laughs> the entire special on a musical number about how a black 
slave owner could actually get slaves excited about slavery. <laughs> and it's like this most ridiculous, preposterous, blackface, midgeted, Oompa Loompa <laughs> thing. I have this grandiose idea of this number I want to do about what kind of like manipulative fuckery William Ellison had to have been able to spin like a oh cotton gin, no pun intended. Uh, to get these <laughs> black people not to murder him and <laughs> like this guy you want to talk about the power of speech people are like oh that hitler was a real convincing guy how about william ellison you know he's Un like now I, I know you guys want to be free but hold on a minute hear me out <laughs> you know just blows the penny whistle a bunch of little <laughs> black oompa loompas come out next thing you know you're like i don't i actually like picking cotton this is great <laughs> he takes he takes off his tattered work attire and he throws yeah. on the confederate flag suit and just starts, yeah, just, starts marching around just looking like jamie fox in django with the fucking <laughs> french socks pulled up and you know, listen, <laughs> y'all gonna be free, but it ain't gonna be today. Let me explain how it's gonna happen. <laughs> y'all gonna and be free, just, but it ain't gonna be with me. <laughs> yeah, ain't gonna be ain't gonna be at this plantation. And if you get to run it, I know all the routes. I know where all y'all motherfuckers be escaping from. I, I went, thought I, about I, this shit for 30 hours. I help y'all dig the trenches and now y'all ain't going nowhere. Like it's it's a hilarious premise to me. And the it reality is, is uh, and Dave kind of poked at this, but I, I you could tell he was a little nervous being a black comic to address it, but it starts to help you understand that slavery was bigger than race at the time. And, and William Ellison's rationalization of this was that it was part of the way America was to remain free and right. independent of the, of the rule of Great Britain. And so this is a guy participating in, in, the, in our economy, despite maybe his objections to the morality of it or in the face of what he knows at the end of the day is the wrong thing. Mm -hmm. But knowing that the greater good of America and the freedom of this country and its and its individuality and independence of Great Britain was a was a more important sacrifice, it starts to change the way we think about that time and we think about slavery and you go, wow, maybe this really was more about American and economic independence and states rights than it was about racism and keeping people as property. And so um, whether you agree with that or disagree with it, I think it's interest. It's an interesting section of history to explore. And I was so angry that he even mentioned it because now <laughs> people are going to go, oh, fucking Chappelle talked about that. <laughs> Chappelle talked about the black slave owner. It's like, fuck, <laughs> fuck, man. I wish he did or wish he would have actually said something. But, you know, the, the, hey, the angle you're taking on, I think it'll still still be extremely original. Mine will be sillier and mine mine will be so ridiculous that uh, <laughs> if you if you take it seriously and try to cancel me over it, you'll look retarded. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I, and I think, I mean, your point about I it also just love the idea that I, I'm going to eventually put a casting out for a half a dozen <laughs> black midgets Please, to God. play a slave master's <laughs> Oompa Loompas on a live theatrical production. And you know what's <laughs> fucked up? I'll get them too. I'll get them. I'll get oh, yeah. all six of them little black motherfuckers <laughs> and it will be hilarious. And we'll film like, we'll film like 30 of them and then we'll just put out the best one, but I'll have 29 cuts of my own silly, you know, I'll another proof that all morality can be thrown out the money or out the window for the right amount of money. Exactly. I'm a, I'm about ready to ship my half my net worth to you on a GoFundMe just to get this shit fucking popping. <laughs> I mean, this is this is too funny, man. I think we uh, can get. I, listen, in all reality, we can probably get this special done for like sixty to a hundred thousand. And I've talked to different 
investors and stuff about wanting to do it, but it's not super expensive. But my, my goal with my first special, and I had crowdsourced, I raised like 10 grand towards it a few years ago. Um, and then the ginormous food show happened on Food Network, and that kind of put everything on ice for the time being. But I want to make something, when I do make a special, it might be the only one I ever get to make. But when I do it, I want it to remind people of what stand-up comedy specials, why we call them specials. Like, I want it to be something that uses the medium of filming in a way that live stand-up can't. Like, I want to be able to use editing and, and live theater and cuts and makeup and effects and post-production and all those things in it that, um, that make it more than just going to a club and watching me talk for an hour. Right. Um, and using the audience. like th So there are things that people don't understand about the way stand-up specials are produced that like fuck with them. Like what's so interesting to me is like, there'll be comedians you've never heard of and they're doing an arena, like a sold out theater of 6,000 people. And you're going like, how does this, this person does like 200 seat clubs on the road. How did they fill this theater for a special? It's like, well, they pay the audience. Like there are companies in LA and in these other production cities that like they post these things on their website and you can go to them for free and then you pay that company to fill your arena, your audience for you. And I want to play with uh, how diverse that audience is. So I'm going to, I have another bit where I want to talk about the fact that like for a joke to work, for this specific joke to work, the audience has to be the perfect mix of black and white people. So we've actually been holding black people in a room off to the side so that when the time comes, we can sprinkle them in to have the perfect <laughs> level of diversity. And we've actually color graded and tested these blacks to make sure they're real blacks. Um, and so there's a lot of these like uh, grandiose ideas of things I want to do that are um, that are kind oh, of like they're, they're also shitting on the fact that most of the problems with diversity and inclusion in Hollywood are because of Hollywood. Like, you know, it's they are creating these caricatures of people based on race and they're perpetuating all of these things that are no longer true or real. And so most of America is fighting against a narrative that has been completely written and conceptualized and maintained by Hollywood. Mm -hmm. Like black people still think that they're the black people in precious because Hollywood keeps making the movie precious over and over and over again, <laughs> and doesn't do documentaries about how great Jay-Z and Beyonce's life is at home because they live in the greatest country in the world. And they're some of the wealthiest, most successful black people in on the planet. They don't yeah. do a documentary about that because it fucks up the narrative. Well, well, speak, speaking of uh, slaves that get freed and then turn around and buy some more slaves, how'd you feel about Chris Rock coming out in favor of vaccine mandates? I was like, the, the guy, the guy basically turns around and he goes, I don't know what's in a Big Mac. <laughs> you know? I'm right. Like, I'm like, yeah. I'm like, as if, as if that's really the primary concern, as if it's not just about, I don't want the government telling me what I put in my body, regardless of whether or not it's safe. Like, I don't even, I, I have an opinion on it, but it's really irrelevant to the point. The point is, fuck you. If you tell me to put something in my body, the answer is fuck you. And as a black person, especially with the Tuskegee experiments, it's like, how can you possibly turn around and say, black community, how dare you question this? Yeah. Did you see the tweet I put out about that a couple of weeks ago when there people were like uh, uh, white people, it's time for white people to shut up and start listening to black people. And then my reply was, uh, well, I talked to the black people and they told me to not trust the government with my bodily health uh, and, yes. and ask them for medical advice. And uh, and then I was like, the government's like, no, no, not those black people. <laughs> just 
like, well, don't listen to them. Spend, you mean just the state sponsored blacks that, you know, speak on masses behalf. Right. I mean, let's right. be honest. Look at what happened to oh, Nicki Minaj. Man. I mean, the, the media loves black people. And this is the problem. The media loves black people as long as they're just Sam Jackson and not Kerry Washington and Django. Uh-huh. So the media loves the black people that, that go along. And listen, when I see li- people don't like it, but when I see Chris Rock doing that, I just go, yeah, that's the typical house nigga behavior mm. is what it is. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's uh, guys who have had it too good for too long, not wanting to fuck shit up. And yeah. that, and that's why I respect the fuck out of Dave Chappelle going. Sometimes you got to get off the bus to make your point. And, and I can say it because I got off the bus. I left $50 million on the bus and got off right. it because of what I felt was right. And he's, he's, he is the only, the biggest fucking gangster in the history of comedy and entertainment because of it. I walked away from money. I didn't walk away from that much money. No right, one's right, ever, right. <laughs> I probably don't have the fortitude to do that, but sure. uh, nobody does except Dave Chappelle. And so I think the fact that he turned his back on a briefcase full of fucking money early in his career to do what he felt was right makes him above everyone else in the autonomy of what he gets to talk about. When yep. you look to the bars of gold in the eye and you walk out on principle, you have the, in my opinion, the moral high road over every other human being until somebody else meets you at that intersection. Facts. And I, I think that's exactly why I revile Stephen A. Smith and respect Kyrie Irving so much after today. Oh. I don't know if you saw it, but Stephen oh, A. Talk about house behavior <laughs> oh my god dude. i don't want to pepper the word I'll, I'll i just try to spread them out a little bit i'm not trying to pepper your podcast with n-bombs but i watched Stephen a talk to don lemon i think that's the clip you're talking about and i was I, just like look at this motherfucker like <laughs> you want me to treat him like white folk boss no i didn't say that good yeah uh, i mean <laughs> it was crazy it's, it's mean, just the juxtaposition of the past, you know, or the two years uh, when Kaepernick was all in the news and how he was he was fighting for something so big and above himself and he was so sacrificial and all of those things could be true. I didn't have a hard opinion. I thought he was misguided, but that's besides the point. I still respected the fact that he was jeopardizing his career. No one questioned his fucking his commitment to team. He was still he was kneeling. Kyrie is being kicked off by a white owner after I had to watch NBA games for fucking over a year that had black lives matter on the court. And now a white owner is saying, sit your ass down unless you put something in your body that I've dictated. It's fucking crazy. I don't care how anybody spins it. Stephen A can spin it. However the fuck he wants to spin it. It's 2021. And we just told a black man, he's not all the way free in front of the entire nation. Now this is why the black community will never overcome is because this is the time to rally behind a black man, not somebody who's doing crack and fucking uh, trying to <laughs> sexually assault their kids and tries right. to stab the cops and get shot in the back. Don't come to that fucking black man's aid and protest. You got a perfectly upstanding, successful citizen uh, role model. And, and, and his league and our country just said, sit down, you black motherfucker. You're not free. This should be the biggest outrage in America. And if I you're agree. protesting and you're marching, it, and I said this about the John Gruden thing, you want to fix cancel culture? The entire league should not play until John Gruden is reinstated as head coach because they all know they're guilty of this kind of behavior. They all know. And this is what it boils down to crabs in the bucket. You know why no other players are supporting Kyrie Irving? He's the best defensive basketball player in all of the NBA right now. The road to the chip goes through Kyrie Irving. 
And mm-hmm. the reason they're not backing him is because he motherfuckers don't want to play against him. It's yeah. that simple. Well, what, see, I, I agree with you for his opponents. What I can't fucking wrap my head around his is teammates. Kevin is Kevin Durant in particular. James Harden's kind of quiet. He doesn't get politically activated. Uh, Kevin, Kevin talks. He has no problem talking. He says, he says, you know, inappropriate shit all the time. He gets in trouble uh, for his Twitter fights and stuff like that. Yeah, he I went cannot... back and forth with Rappaport. He was trying to fight right Mike Rappaport. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, and and I respect the hell of it. I like anybody who's like on yeah, the on get the in fringe. there. Yeah, it's dope. But then you got your your homeboy, like probably the the greatest hope you have to get a, a championship for that team, and and you're just gonna like leave him in the lurch. Throw you got, him to you the got, wolves. You got no words for him, and and especially like I can't. This is the other thing that drives me crazy. Just how you were talking about the black community has a serious problem with homophobia. The black community, by and large, is not down with vaccines. Let's just be no. fucking honest about it. And fair so- and fair point. I had Brian Moses on my podcast, black comedian out of L.A., the co-creator of Roast Battle. Right. And, uh, you know, Brian was like, yeah, man, uh, the, there's a reason for the vaccine hesitancy in the black community. And this idea that that's somehow unjustified is it blew, it blew his mind and it blew my mind. It's like, yo. The, the CDC website talks about how black people were experimented on medically over the last two centuries. And so you want now you just want them to forget that and right. just to, to take their fucking medicine and shut up. I mean, the, well, the headline should be NBA reminds superstar player that no, no amount of money makes black men free. That should be the article that everybody should be writing and everyone should be protesting this. Everyone should be in the streets and go, whoa, 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 wait a minute. You're trying to tell black men they're not free to make their own decisions in this country, in this country. I don't give after a shit the, what it's about. After the past 48 months of, of nonstop protests over black lives, like what are we doing here? And, yeah. and this is this is what drives me crazy is I know for a fucking fact there are there are commentators on ESPN. They have all these black guys. I know probably half of them oppose this vaccine mandate and yes. all of them are coming out and crucifying Kyrie Irving. They are shucking and jiving for the man. It is pathetic and disgusting. And I can't believe no one's coming to his defense. Like nobody. Amazing. All, all oppression, all oppression in all forms comes with the subtext, the, the caveat line of they've had it good enough for long enough. Mm. And the, that is what every man says to himself in justification of his oppression of another. It's what people say to themselves when they treat white people horribly. They go, well, they've mm. had it good enough for long enough. You're it's right. what white people said about black people when they were fighting for civil rights in the 60s. They've had it good enough for long enough. Mm-hmm. And, and that is the mantra of the oppressor in every status. Oh, this Kyrie Irving, he's had it good enough for long enough. He don't have to be free. He, if You know, Stephen A., you can't, you don't have to look so far to find what the real animosity is. Stephen A goes, he got enough money. If he won't go home and, and not play, he can do that. And that's what he's going to do. Right. And that was a pretty good Stephen A. <laughs> that was not bad. It's not bad. It sounds good in my headphones. I don't know how it sounds. <laughs> it was not I was bad. like, wow, I think I nailed it. Uh, <laughs> Going to have to add that to the egg. Well, see, yeah, this is, this is, I can do Stephen I mean, A. But, but yeah, it's I, just like, you I think know, you're right. It is jealousy, it, but like, think about the jealousy what of just, the money. Yeah. Yeah. But what you were just saying about Chappelle. Chappelle walked away from 50 mil. Kyrie is looking at almost 40 fucking $5 million this season. For one alone. season for one yeah, season. Yeah, exactly. Forget Not- about lost endorsement deals. Cause he'll lose those two. Yeah. If he has a hundred million dollar shoe deal, they'll void that and try well, to make him. And he ain't back. making it up like Kaepernick. They're not going to have some fucking Nike, Nike ad campaign a couple years right. from now saying stand with Kyrie. Like that's ain't happening. So he is really risking a lot 
uh, it's genuinely deeply courageous. Whether you believe in, in vaccine mandates or the safety or the security or the efficacy, any of that, you have to respect the, the risk. Like the same thing with Chappelle. Even if you don't like his fucking material, how could you not respect a man who walks away from 50 mil on principle? Listen, I'm not an NBA fan. I don't really watch the sport. And it's not it's not for any reason other than it's just I have too many other sports I like. I watch. Sure, I'm sure. a big I played ice hockey growing up. So that's my first love. I love MMA. I love football. I just got into baseball again through the pan. I'm running. I don't have time for all the sports. You know what I mean? And basketball is just the way I can't even get into it until playoffs at all. But I'll tell you, Kyrie Irving made me a fan because I respect him as a man so much for laying it out on the line like this. And I was like, dude, I don't wear basketball jerseys. I'll I'll buy his. I'll wear his because, you know, that 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 is the kind of um what's the word i'm looking for that is the kind of um disobedience that -hmm. will lead us back to being america again and it's going to take a lot more kyrie irvings but i'm glad somebody that's that big with that much of an audience is telling you to go fuck themselves or telling people to go fuck themselves and we need more of that so i said cancel culture could come to an end if you know if if the uh, even if the raiders said bring us our coach back uh, or we're not, you're we're right. not playing. We'll forfeit right. every game. We're not going to yep. play where you're going to lose hundreds of millions of dollars in our televised games and ticket sales. We're not playing until you bring back our coach, but nobody, nobody cares about the greater good more than they care about their own well-being. God, you're so right. And, and so all the, perfect. all the 53 men on that roster will stay on that fucking plantation and realize that they're using the fact that Gruden is white as an excuse to take away his fucking freedom. And they're going to do it to white people and you're going to watch them do it to white people. And then they're going to start doing it to black people. And it's already happening with Kyrie Irving. It's already happening with Dave Chappelle. And, and this is what you realize is if none of us, or if one of us isn't free, none of us are free. And so that's why you gotta, you can't sit back and keep quiet when a a person you don't like gets canceled or or fired uh, by, by um, exhibiting freedoms that you yourself want to have and express. Like if you, if you applaud when they cancel me for saying unpopular shit, wait till they come for you and they will, they'll get to everybody. They'll make their way around everybody to where you'll, you'll, we'll get back to the oppression that we had a hundred years ago. Like Mm -hmm. we're already looking at colleges talking about being pro segregation again, because they think (laughs) it's better. Are you, are you out of your fucking mind? (laughs) It's, it's truly astonishing. I mean, perfect example of what you're talking about with if one NFL team were to just take a stand with with I mean, even even if it's not Gruden, if it's some other instance, whatever. Uh, the same thing with the Southwest airline pilots. These motherfuckers just say, hey, we're done. You yeah. put an entire airline out of business for a, uh, even a couple of weeks. That that'll screw up so much shit like it. We have so much power if we could actually come together in any even a small, small way. And it's just we're so. We're so like, we're just starving. We have like this really, um, we don't, we don't have any sense of abundance about our lives. So I feel like people are like every last dollar I can get, I'm going to get it. And, and what I, what I try and point out to people is like, if you are the, like, yes, you're going to get bloody if you're the first through the wall, as you describe it, but you know what you're also going to be, you're going to be a fucking legend. And if you survive it, you're maybe gonna, you're, you're well, I if mean, you survive it, if you, we survive hope. It, you can be tremendously wealthy, like take, take some fucking risk, man. Like, just look at it as a risk, look at it as a risk reward. Um, even if you don't become financially successful, you can still like you only live once. Be a legend. Listen, yeah, I, I, I don't I haven't gotten wildly financially successful from any of the risks I've taken. Well, uh, you deserve it. 
I, Regardless. you know, and maybe that'll happen someday. Who knows? But I my, think it will. my, my thing is this, like my brother just died at 43 years old. He, mm. uh, he had a drinking problem exacerbated by a opioid painkiller problem that was prescribed to treat some of his injuries over the years at 43 years old. He's fucking dead. Um, you know, it's, uh, That's brutal. we don't know how much time we have on this planet and we don't know what any of it's for. All I want to know is that if it's not over when I die, I want to be able to answer for the man I chose to be while I was here. Mm -hmm. And and so and even if it isn't, I want to know that in, the, in my last fucking breath that I never regretted a choice I made uh, for for what I believed in. And that's it for me. Like, you know, if the money comes, who knows? The, you know, it's it's definitely I definitely didn't pick the easier path. I had more money before I decided to be myself in public uh, <laughs> or to, to keep being myself in public rather. But, you know, the, the that's that's why it's not a really religious guy. I understand when people go the devil is in everything and the devil is everywhere. It's like I get it because temptation, uh, mm -hmm. they lead us astray from our purpose with the temptation of a better life, a cushier life, more comfort more ease just do what we fucking say and we'll shower you with riches that's not freedom right. that's not free that's slavery yeah you know like imagine being you know why all those black people kept working for william ellison because he was like baby i will treat you better than any other slave owner bet on that and they said he probably will right. so you know we'll take a little bit more comfort uh in the face of freedom you know because freedom is uncomfortable obviously and it's risky and you could die so maybe if if it's a little if it's if it's slavery but it's a little bit more comfy or a little bit or at least he understands us or or whatever rationalization they told themselves to be okay with it uh that many people he had one of the largest plantations in south carolina and was one of the primary financial backers of the confederacy <laughs> so naturally enough black people were cool with it to keep him well into the money you know what I mean? So his wild. sons fought. His sons fought for the Confederacy. <laughs> so it's kind of based. I'm not gonna lie. I'm kind of it's, impressed. It's, I mean, talk about <laughs> principles. You know what I mean? This motherfucker was like, "This, listen, it is about states' rights, and I don't care how many of my boys have to die to prove it." It's just like you know, and it's it's hilarious in hindsight, but it's also inspiring. It's inspiring to believe in something so much. That in the face of what society is telling you, you stand your ground that hard. And I don't know what his motivations were, nor does anyone. There aren't great records about William. There's a few books about him, all attempting to piece together history. Uh, mm -hmm. But it's not like he wrote any sort of deathbed autobiography or anything that's like the substantive uh, capturing of his existence or works. But the idea that somebody could believe in something so much or the principle like it sounds like a horrible situation, but what if you found out that he felt like the only way America could survive and be the America it was meant to be was by fighting that war and taking a stand for what you believe in, which was states' rights, personal autonomy, et cetera, et cetera. We don't know that he didn't want to change the way plantations were run or the American economy was, or he didn't want to revamp slavery. He didn't want to do that, but he might've felt that prioritizing the independence of America was a greater fight and put that ahead and it's just inspiring to you you can choose to look at that as a horrible racial atrocity you can also choose to look at it as a tremendously inspiring example of what people are willing to sacrifice because of what they believe america can be 
and that is a much more inspiring thing for me to think about no i i like that it i mean it's certainly true whether or not his perception was right and that that america needed slavery to maintain its independence at the time it it quite possibly did i i haven't really looked into it to know yeah Um, well a lot of a lot of people don't understand that a big part of the pro-abolition movement was actually the a lot of the publication this is so similar to what it is today is like when you go back and you trace some of the money uh a lot of the people a lot of the press in the north that was pro-abolition that was writing articles and publishing newspaper stories and things that were raising the questions of the morality of the practice of slavery, you actually find out that these were all British loyalists and nationalists. (laughs) And so it's like, this is like the George Soros shit of the time, but it's like, Oh, all these people that were printing about this and and, and writing about this, they didn't give a fuck about black people. They wanted to re-indebt America to the bank of England. (laughs) They wanted us to be reabsorbed by great Britain. So they weren't out for the good of black people either. They just had a different nefarious objective and they used the moral question of slavery to obtain that goal. And it didn't work because America stayed independent. So, and maybe that would have never happened if we didn't fight the civil war and it didn't cause the bloodshed that it did. And, you know, however you want to go back and look at history, but it's just amazing. There are always these things. That's why I laugh at the idea of critical race theory. Cause like, you don't teach, you're not teaching the whole totality of it. There are no William Ellison chapters in critical race theory. <laughs> History, slavery 101 about let's talk about, by the way, William Ellison, not the only black slave owner. There were about seven, a lot of them in Louisiana, South Carolina, Georgia. They were all over the place. Freed slaves uh, participated in the practice of slavery because it was the economic way to get rich back then. It was not about it really wasn't about morality for those people. It was about accomplishment and about achieving the greater good. And. Listen, man, nobody talks about how many black people died during the gold rush because they were free men, but they still died at the hands of capitalism. A lot of people died at the hands of capitalism and the forging of what is now America. And listen, you could argue that America would have never achieved what it did without the sacrifices made in the name of capitalism with things like slavery, with things like the Chinese road, child labor, whatever. Yeah. But all of the if, if, if I told you that without slavery, America would be uh, Yemen or Chad or Nigeria, what would you do? You'd would you go back and undo it. it or would you do it all over again? And, and <laughs> right, you know, so, right. you know, it's easy to look at a guy like William Ellison in hindsight and go, what an evil fucking race trading motherfucker. But the man might have had vision greater than any of us understand and said, listen, slavery is ugly the way it's being practiced. And it shouldn't just be black people. But uh, the dream of America and what it can, what this nation can accomplish is more important than that right now. And we got to get there and then we can make it better as we go. We don't know the, the man could have been a fucking genius. We have no idea. I think your, your point about how the people that were writing to sow division is so I mean, just the tie in is so perfect with Soros, with Black Lives Matter, all, all the shit that we've experienced over the past couple of years, how they're basically using divide and conquer tactics on us. And, and also to your point, you know, the slave owners of that time didn't view themselves as morally reprehensible. Yeah, same, neither do the owners of uh, sports teams today, by the way. I, I was going a little bit more, a little bit more uh, blatantly dark in neither do prosecutors of drug crimes in america oh of course uh, not you, you no. know they they throw away they throw the book and they throw away the key on these nonviolent drug offenders many of them spend life in prison for having hurt nobody but themselves insane and 
I mean, it's it's completely evil. I, I would argue it's they're the arbiters of injustice. Right. And it's significantly more evil than slavery, even in a, in a lot of ways. So, I mean, it's uh, it's just funny because, you know, we have slavery to this day. We actually have open air slave trades because of Hillary Clinton in Libya right now. I mean, there is like slavery hasn't been abolished and yet we have critical race theory which doesn't and america and america benefits from slavery to these days right like oh people go yeah if if you don't like slavery then you better throw your iphone in the garbage (laughs) you know what i mean like we we are that we are that we are still america still thrives on the foundation of slavery today so it's just all about how you rationalize it in your head Mm-hmm. And listen, people can uh, people will rationalize it all the way until it arrives at their doorsteps and they're the ones being put in chains. And that sort of um, listen, we, we didn't show up to World War Two until it was a problem for us. We sat by and watched Jews get slaughtered over and over and over again. And, and if you look back at what our president was talking about back then, our government was impressed by Nazi Germany. We're like, <laughs> man, the the fucking way these people get their people in line and they just the you you know the the snappiness of the uniforms I mean, we were we were so complimentary of hitler until we were attacked by japan no, they we were like this fucking guy gets it and then the, the time schedule of their trains yeah, unbelievable i mean everything like they, you know you can go back and i can't remember who our president was at the time uh it, it escapes me but I'm, I'm having a brain fart but you could go back and there there's literal press of us being complimentary of Nazi Germany and how well their authoritarianism ran. Yeah. And we had no we had no problem with the slaughtering of Jews until the war was brought to our doorstep. Mm-hmm. And so it's like the, the biggest problem uh, with American history, the way it's taught is we somehow believe that morality has ever been what's governed our political decisions globally. Mm-hmm. And we have never done the thing that is right morally we have always done the thing that is right fiduciarily mm-hmm. and it's and if you understand that about our government and why it is inherently corrupt and always will be if it's run this way um you you start to look at the things we do at home and understand that those decisions are being made for the same reason yep well i knew this was going to be a great conversation i am so glad we got to do it thank you so much for coming on josh yeah uh, man go, go ahead and tell people where they can follow you uh, yeah, just go to joshanycomedy.com. You can find all my links there. I host a show called Next Week Tonight on Censored TV. It's like a news clip show that mocks other news clip shows. And uh, I've got a podcast called Jankum. You can get that anywhere podcasts are played. Um, and then at Josh Denny on all social media, Josh Denny official on Facebook. And come support me on Locals. It's a, a platform that's kind of like Patreon, but it's more free speech. Yep. Uh, you know, it's kind of cancel proof. So. Is it uh, joshdenny.locals.com? You got it. Yep. I am libertylockdown.locals.com. I'll see you there. Uh, thank you so much, Josh. It was a bless. Yeah, man. Thank you. Good Lord, Josh Denny's a funny MF or any. God damn. I don't know if I've laughed that hard on the show yet. Um, big fan of his. Make sure you follow him. Uh, make sure you support him. Make sure you go see him in person when he does stand up because I haven't done it yet. And you damn right I'm gonna after talking to this guy. I'm blown away at how funny he is and how honest. Really appreciate that. If you want to support the show, go to libertylockdown.locals.com, become a supporting subscriber. It helps. It'll help this, it'll help me get a studio so I can do like real big time shit. And I think you guys will feel um, a sense of, I don't know, gratification that you help me 
get us there because I believe that we are a team in this fight. I really do. Um, if we aren't a team, then pff, we ain't got nothing. So team up, make it happen. Again, go to libertylockdown.locals.com to subscribe and become a supporting member of the channel there. Also, um, this episode comes out Friday. Tomorrow, I will be at Tom Woods 2000 in Orlando. If you're there, come say hi. Give me a hug and a smooch. And we'll, uh, maybe, maybe I shouldn't say that. All right, just give me a hug or a handshake or a fist bump if you're weird. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know you people, all right? Um, make sure you follow me on Twitter at Liberty Lockpod and on Instagram, Liberty Lockdown. Coming up, Dave Rubin, Zuby, Eric July, Sour Patch Lids, Ian Crossland. The list is eternal. <laughs> Big shout out to everybody that's been with me since Jump Street. Appreciate y'all. Welcome to Liberty Lockdown. Please scan your barcode. Your liberty ain't gone, but yeah, it's on hold. Where did it come from and where did it go? It requires a fight, not tweet from your phone. Don't need a king, get him off the fucking throne. If you're riding with the thought, you've always got a home. The virus is scared of, will come and it'll go. The government knows, just don't get treated like a hoe. Like Nico and Shane, you probably wonder what's happening. Scared Hollywood left these lyrical feminine. A typo with Luke might bring the nooses. We all bite the bullet, I'm the king of the gooses. Freckles and Brit, didn't know I could spit. Knew I was a patriot, but now I'm the shit. Peter Quinones, invite me on Which podcaster sends custom songs Part of the problem, now I stand with the people Dave showed the way, but I am unequal Lions of Liberty, now hear me roar Beat running up, but I got a bit more Robbie the Fire, always running his mouth But I made him a sandwich, now I'm man of the house No malice for Nick, but you're welcome to quit I went over BLM with the fire I spit Friends against government just call us fags Copy the Cairo, put mummies in the bag Liable opinions get thrown on the ground Silky smooth time was the only sound Getting so hot must be air July Screaming in the mic and rip for 59 Miles to ratio that black guns matter Now all these lefties got crazy small bladders None of us wanted war but we're ready You know I be bopping and rock steady Liberty lockdown, please scan your barcode Your liberty ain't gone but yeah it's on hold Where did it come from and where did it go It requires a fight, not tweeting from your phone Don't need a king, get him off the fucking throne If you're riding with the thought, you've always got a home The virus is scared of, will come and it'll go The government knows, just don't get treated like a hoe